Father, we thank you for the opportunities and the bridges that you're building into this community. Not for our sake, Father, but for your sake and their sake to come to know you and to walk in a relationship with you. Father, we pray against the demonic forces right now, the principalities and the unseen world that are seeking to steal, kill, and destroy within this region. We ask that you would send angels of protection, that your blood would pour over us, and that we would even be awake to the things that you're awake to. I pray that as we continue in the book of Revelation today, God, that you would give us eyes to see, minds to comprehend, ears to hear, hearts with fertile soil, and feet that want to run with obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in the book of Revelation. We are in chapter 6, and this is our second week. So last week, what we ended up talking about was the beginning of the seals. And these seals had to be opened by one who was worthy. And we learned several weeks before that the one who was worthy enough to open up the seals was Jesus. So everything that's happening that we hear today and that we heard last week is under the authority of Jesus. Jesus is opening these seals. So last week, the first seal that he opened was the white horseman. And with the broad stroke from the white horseman, what we learned that the white horseman was, was the Antichrist. Now, there's many people who have speculated about who the Antichrist is or when the Antichrist will rise up. But what we do know is the white horseman was or is the Antichrist. But further scripture tells us this, that the spirit of the Antichrist is alive in a well, in a well, alive and well today. So we can see the move of we can see the move of the spirit of the antichrist at work. And some of the postulations that I made last week was simply suggesting that some uh, some of the avenues by which we see the spirit of the antichrist at work is certainly through killing of Christians, right? Through um, the the murdering of innocent life through abortion, through certain agendas that we see going on within the world. And then I pushed all of our bubbles a little bit uh, multiple times last week, but one of them was in the way of saying that I don't believe that the spirit of the Antichrist is, we're just gonna be living normally and then, oh look, the Antichrist's reigning. I think that the way that the Antichrist is going to come about is a slow degeneration of corruption and the spirit of the Antichrist in high places. So one of the ways that I proposed that I wasn't necessarily saying, thus saith the Lord on, but what I was suggesting was uh, we saw things like immunization passports where if you don't have certain immunities, you can't fly, you can't travel, you can't work. The other ones were stores that we see, some coming up in New York and San Francisco and Los Angeles, 
where the only way that you can get into that store and buy anything is if you have your chip within your phone or your credit card. And then what they would do is you essentially scan your phone, which is your personal IP address, has all your search history, has all your conversations that it's listening to, and then you get to go into the store, there's no cashiers, and then you leave the store with bagging your own groceries and then it charges your account. Isn't that a little scary? That's scary. Because what they can do is they can deny your entry into the store because you can't get in without it accepting you in. The other thing that I proposed was within the stimulus package, uh, three times it was declined because uh, within there, what was uh, in it was they wanted to pass out money um, digitally. So what they were trying to put in there is within five years, all money would be digital. So there'd be no more cash, gold would mean nothing, that everything would be digital. So what's the issue with digital money? They can turn it off or on whenever they want. Now what was the issue? What was the issue is PayPal, several months ago, they came out and they said, hey, if you, um, if you don't live by the way we want you to live or if you don't speak the way we want you to speak, we can um, fine you 2,500 bucks per offense. So we see the spirit of the Antichrist or systems being established through the world today. So that was the first horseman. The second horseman was bloodshed in war. So when the second seal is open, there's going to be bloodshed in war. Some people believe that is communism. The black horseman. Some people believe that is capitalism and speculation, but the the broad stroke was closer to famines. And then the final horseman that we got to last week was the pale horseman. The pale horseman is not necessarily pale, but uh, originates from the word chloroform, which is closer to green and yellow, and that is death. So it was suggesting that death is going to be coming. So this week we land on seals five, and six. So if you have your Bibles, Revelation 6, verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth in event and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. So what I want to reiterate for all of us is believers in Jesus Christ are to expect suffering. I didn't hear any amens on that. Believers in Jesus Christ are to expect suffering. In the first four seals, the world faced evil leaders, bloodshed, wars and famines, and death. But now the fifth seal, John sees under the altar people slaughtered because they maintained their testimony in God's word. 
people were slaughtered because they maintained their testimony and God's word. And it was right there in verse 9 when, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who were slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. So John saw those who were killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. Those who maintained it. Those who were um, put in awkward positions. Now we can't miss that they were under the altar though. Someone suggested that this is the altar of burnt offering, while others have suggested that this was the altar of incense. But what is important for us to see and understand is they were being faithful to God's word. And being faithful to God's word will require sacrifice. Even at your workplace or within your home, following Christ will require sacrifice. But what we understand is this sacrifice is pleasing to God. Amen? There will be some people at the end of the age who will maintain their allegiance to Christ. And these people are the people who clung to Jesus in spite of the consequences. They maintained their testimony. So not only is John talking about the reward that we will receive for maintaining our testimony, but Jesus taught about maintaining our testimony as well. Jesus talked about the suffering that we will face. So Matthew 10, 38, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So Jesus is telling us that believers are to expect suffering. Believers are to expect hard times. He told us in Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. That's the wrong one That's because that's the same one. Let me, uh, let me open up my Bible. Are you guys seeing the same thing on screen? I'm sure too. All right, Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus, oh, no. Yeah, then Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So then what's Matthew 10, 38? If not, I just messed up and we're going to move on. I need a hard copy. Tech, I got it right here. Yeah, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So Paul reemphasizes in 2 Timothy, um, yes, 2 Timothy Verse 12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know that those from whom you have learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise from salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
So Jesus tells us, Paul tells us, and James, or sorry, John tells us that believers are to expect suffering. So I wonder what kind of suffering have we faced for Christ? What kind of suffering within our homes, within our workplaces, within society? Because sacrifice is challenging. Living for Christ is challenging. You may lose friends. You may not be able to pursue a dream job. You may be called a hater or a bigot. Many things we will have to forfeit for his sake. You may even lose your life. But even when you face such trials, the Bible tells us that God's timing is faithful. You realize today in some situations that you're facing, that you're dealing with, God's timing is faithful? Do you guys believe that? One author once said, God is never early and he is never late. And you guys should know the rest, right? He's always right on time. Though this is true, we hardly ever believe it. We hardly ever believe that God is right on time. When we face trials that seem to be far above what we could ever imagine, what are we to do? What are they to do right here in the book of Revelation? They need to cry out, and we need to cry out in prayer. See, those who maintain their testimony in God's word were facing death uh, for their faith, and they cried out to God. They were facing death. And they cried out to God. Verse 10. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? So because they're maintaining their testimony, because they're following God's word, now they're facing a certain circumstance. And what do they do? They cry out to him. God's people here in Revelation First, address him with reverence, though. He is sovereign. He is holy. He is true. They recognized he is far above everything. And not only is he far above everything, he can also fix everything. So they asked him, how long must I wait? How much longer until we get delivered from this injustice that we are facing? How many prayers do we have right now in our life or have we had in seasons of our life where we ask the question, God, how long must I wait? How long must I wait until my kids get saved? How long must I wait until... My back is healed. How long must I wait until I get a job? How long must I wait? How long must I wait until we get a born-again believer in the White House? How long must I wait? Anyone in here right now have that feeling? God, how long must I wait? I have some of those. God, how long must I wait? I get mad because if God just did things my way, life would be better, right? 
if God just answered your prayer in the thing that you're petitioning him about, life would be better. So that's what they're asking him right now. Those who are being persecuted, those who are being killed for their faith, God, how long must I wait? But they trusted God so much that they prayed and then they left it in his hands. Do we pray and leave it in his hands? They didn't try to get revenge on the people that were wrongdoing them. They didn't create coups to go after them or unseat them. They didn't try to form a gang. They didn't try to fix their problem. They simply prayed and they trusted God. Wouldn't life be much easier if we could just pray and trust God in that manner? God, here's my issue. You're going to deal with it. I trust you. Now I'm not going to lose one breath, one thought, one night of sleep over it at all. Isn't that the kind of faith that we want? Faith that we can just be at peace and trust him? That's what they did here in the book, or that's what they will do in the book of Revelation. They prayed and they trusted God. Why? Because they trusted that God's timing is best. Verse 11, that each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer. What a horrible answer to prayer. God's answer to their prayer was wait. Just wait a little bit longer. How many of you guys like that prayer or that, that answer? God, I need healed. God, my kids need saved. God, I need some money. Just wait. God, my spouse and I just can't get along. And this has been really, this has been like five years, God. What do I do? Just wait. Just wait. Just wait. See, a lot of times we think when God tells us wait that he told us no. God hasn't said no to a lot of our prayers. God has said wait. Amen? Some of our prayers are not wrong, but some of our prayers' timing is wrong. I still wonder how many of our prayers we've thought have gone unanswered. We just haven't understood God's timing. So here's some things we know about prayer. Psalm 139.4. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Before I even say anything, God knew I was going to say it. I told the kids on Friday, before I did this, God knew that I was going to do it. God is sovereign above everything. He knows every word that I've said and that I'm going to say. So that means in our prayers, God hears them. Amen? And he knows them. God hasn't blocked you out. And sometimes we quit praying because when we pray, we don't get the answer immediately. So we think that he said no, so we give up or we get discouraged. 
Anyone ever in here been discouraged? Participating church. We also know out of Jeremiah 29, 12, you then will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. When you pray, guess who's listening? God is. Now, isn't that a weird concept? See, some of you guys aren't even listening to me today. I get it. You're here. Thanks for being here. Mark Miller's going to make sure you got your check mark. You're not listening anyway, so you can't even be offended. Or now you need prayer because you are offended because I said that. Point being is God listens. No matter how much we may check out in conversations when people are talking to us, no matter how inconsiderate we are, when people want to share things with us, God is not. And God is always quick to listen. God is listening to your prayers today. Amen? And your sin, because it's covered by the blood, you have direct access to him. So if you've messed up, it doesn't mean that he's quit listening to you. Amen? He hears you. Psalms 145.18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. The Lord is near to all who call on him. Amen? How many of you guys want to be near to God today? Call on him. Pray to him. Talk to him. See, you ever wake up in the morning and you just feel the sense that you need to be with him? He's just drawing you closer to him. He's calling you to him. He wants to talk to you about something. And then you say, well, I got to get ready for work. And then you hop in the shower or however you get ready. Throw in the uh, dry shampoo. Put on the deodorant, whatever you do. And you're getting ready. Then you're worried about what's going on at work. But yet he's still trying to talk to you. And then you just pursue thinking and worrying about what's next. God is near to all those who call on him. How much different can our days and our weeks look if we would just call upon him and talk to him? He's close to us when we do that. John 15, 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you remain in God, his word remains in you. Whatever you ask will be given to you. Now here's what I've realized. In my life, I sometimes think I'm being spirit-led, but I'm being Joey-led. And when I'm being Joey-led and I ask for something, I don't see it come to pass. And I say this with 100% honesty and 100% truth. Anything that God's ever told me to pray I've seen him answer it 100% of the time. Some things that I've prayed, they haven't been answered or the timing's not yet. And I got some of this. When I've asked God, how do you want me to pray today? 
and he's given me something that he wants me to pray about, I've seen him answer that 100% of the time. Amen? When I get in the way and I start to say, God, can some random family member have an inheritance that they never knew about and I get to retire and go live in Florida or Cancun or wherever and live a life about me, God has not answered that prayer yet. But when I say, God, I feel like you want me to pray for this person's healing today. There's been a, um, a handful of people that God's asked me to pray for their healing and they got physically healed. There's been a handful of people that needed finances and God asked me to pray for their finances and they received finances. There's been certain things that God has asked me to pray and I've seen him answer that 100% of the time, but we can get in the way. Nevertheless, nevertheless. Um, John 9, 31. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly persons or the godly person who does his will. Now that one gets a little scary, doesn't it? Because we're in here thinking right now, well, I'm a sinner. We've all sinned, and we all fall short of the glory of God. And, and I think maybe verses like this have um, maybe been used as a, as a control method to try to scare people into the kingdom or to scare people into obedience when in reality all sin and all fall short of the glory of God. And we don't use that as justification to sin, right? Amen? Each day we should offer our bodies holy and pleasing to God. We should beat our bodies into submission. We should run from sin. But even just having Adam's blood, we fall short. But what happens is when we read verses like this, we think that because we're sinners that God doesn't hear us. But the fact of the matter is, um, are we covered in the blood or are we not? How many of you guys believe you're covered in the blood today? See, we're covered in the blood because by faith, by faith and faith alone, not by works. Amen? So when believers who are covered by the blood cry out to God, guess what he does? He hears them. Now God is going to work through the process of sanctification to deliver us from our sin. But God still hears our prayers because when he sees us, he sees his son. He sees the sacrifice that his son was willing to take for you and I. Amen? So God hears your prayers today. The last one that I'll bring up about prayer is James 4.3. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. So sometimes we just ask things that we think is spirit-led or we just want for our own pleasure. God, give me a better job, higher paying job. Make this person leave my work. Heal me today. See, sometimes we ask God for something, but we lack his foresight. And we ask with the wrong motives so that we don't see, so, so we don't see the prayer answered. Here's where we struggle. God has foresight about what is best. And here in Revelation, his foresight tells them that what they're asking for in prayer 
must wait. How long must they wait? Why must they wait? What good is in it for them to wait? God had something better in store. And what God had, uh, what was better for them in this situation was God's timing here ushers in revival. Amen? We're going to see it. Verse 11, then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until a full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. That's kind of messed up, isn't it? From like a worldly perspective, from a flesh perspective that doesn't see things the way that God sees them, you're like, wait a second, God, why would you allow this to happen? I have no clue or no understanding why you would let this happen, God. Literally what the scripture says is he, he, uh, they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their servants, their brothers and their sisters, were killed just as they had been. So God's answer to their prayer request was, no, just wait a little bit. Just wait a little longer until more people get killed. Isn't my perspective and isn't our perspective so far short of God's? And is it, isn't that, like, can't even just today allow us to respond at the altar and say, God, make me poor because I don't understand? We walk around here in pride thinking that we just have all the answers to life and to politics and to money and to people and to relationships in our marriage, make me poor because I know nothing. Make me humble because I know nothing. I do not like the response that God gave. I would desire to be able to preach around the response that God gave. But in God's knowledge, in his sovereignty, he was able to say, wait a little longer until the full number of their servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. This was a hard pill to swallow. God has the power to step in and save his people from, his, uh, from this hardship. Yet he allows this dreadful path to play out. Does that make him a cruel God? Not at all. Does that mean he's mean? No. Does it mean he's not loving? No. It means that he understands things far above than we do. See, during this time, as people hold on to God's word and their testimony in him, more people were being added to the kingdom. See, we don't understand his patience. We can, but yet we can see his mercy in this. See, his mercy was this. As he's patient, there's going to be a significant amount of people who can turn from their sin. During this time, as people yeah, hold on to God's word and their testimony, more people are being added to the kingdom. See, if God would have answered the saints' prayer 
immediately, then many would have not come to know him. They would have been eternally lost. One author says this, the section of scripture is the first intimation that the reign of the Antichrist is to witness the greatest revival that the world has ever seen. More millions will be saved under the preaching of God's witnesses in the seven years than in many times that period in the present age. So God is saying, hey, just wait a little bit longer. There's more people that are going to come to Christ. Just hold on. Just keep on enduring. There's more people that are going to come to Christ. And what if God has not answered your prayer yet because more people are coming to Christ? Would you be okay with that? What if God wants your kids to come to know him for them? See, the golden age to be ushered in by the preaching of the gospel as all the world turns to Christ is a unscriptural myth. There's this idea that church land presents that if we just present the gospel, then the whole world will come to Christ. Now, I wish that was the case, but if that were the case, then the world would have all come to Christ, right? There's a few regions that have not probably heard the gospel yet. But if it was just the gospel that needed to be preached, then we'd all be following him. The author continues, Surely this ought, ought to be sufficient to convince all Christians today that the gospel is not intended to cover the world or to bring the universal peace and blessing. This dispensation of grace, rejected, is to be followed by a dispensation of judgment. Not until after that shall Jerusalem be the center of God's presence and government. The gospel as now preached is not and in present order of all things never will be triumphant. And I had to think about this. Like, nothing can stand against the kingdom of God. So I'm trying to figure out, is this, is this author preaching heresy by saying that the gospel will not be triumphant? Now, the gospel is triumphant. Jesus is triumphant, but I think what this author is trying to articulate that there's that the, the gospel is so much bigger than we ever imagined, and just preaching the good news of Jesus doesn't bring people to Christ. And here's how he finishes. The gospel as now preached is not, and in present order of all things, never will be triumphant. This is demonstrated in the, the seven epistles and is the common teaching of Scripture on the subject. A leading feature in its entire history is that the gospel is mostly rejected. It is universally preached as a witness to all nations, but nations as such, with all their patronage, have never received it and have, um, have never been um, the slayers of its witnesses. So what this author is saying is there's, there's something more with the gospel. See, if it, was just, if it was just preached, then why isn't the whole world coming to Christ? And the timing of God is paramount. So God told them to wait because surely these people have heard the message why? Because they clung to his te their testimony. They clung to his word. 
But there was still something else that had to happen. So as we continue, as we wrap up, when God answers prayers, it's clear. So verse 12, I watched as he, as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth sack made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red, and the stars and the sky fell to the earth as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. So God's answered prayer was clear. There was a great earthquake that revealed God was at work. And what we have to remember is earthquakes are signs of the end of time. You guys remember in Matthew 24, essentially what it says is there are going to be earthquakes in various places, and they're going to be like birthing pains, right? The more frequent and the more powerful, you know, that, that the arrival of Jesus is coming. Now, what's really unique about the idea of earthquakes and birthing pains is here in this scriptures, there's this earth, earthquake that people have never seen before, a magnitude that people have never seen before, but yet they still don't repent. So why is it as believers, we understand the scriptures, we see more earthquakes happening in devastating ways, hence the one that just happened, right? But yet we don't have a posture of repentance. Isn't that weird? We see the signs of the end of time. But our hearts are not postured with repentance. Yet through, uh, yeah, the unfortunate piece is that through earthquake, though our earthquakes are signs of the end, people seem to still harden their hearts and not repent. A rare exception of this, um, of people repenting, is in Revelation 11, verse 13, but we'll get there eventually. Now, not only will there be earthquakes in the end, the sun will be uh, turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair, and the whole moon turned blood red, and the stars in the sky fell to the earth. What a sequence of events, right? One author says this, the sun and the moon were created for signs in Genesis 1:14. They now provide indication that the events associated with these seals cannot be explained by natural phenomena, but results from the one who controls the universe. The darkening of the sun may be from the perspective of the viewers on earth due to material ejected into the upper atmosphere by the earthquake or the impact of the asteroids in the next verse. Or add my commentary, maybe global warming. Come on, somebody. Although the sun is darkened, the moon continues to reflect light as if the path light follows between the sun and the moon is only minimally affected. In the fifth trumpet, judgment is the smoke which darkens the sun. Eventually, like the earth, the sun and the moon are judged to show those who dwell on the earth who the true source of light is. 
Jesus himself. Amen? The sun, the stars will all fall, and we will one day see that the true source of light is Jesus. So what happens is while the end is happening, while this seal is opened, we're freaking out. People are scared. And here's what I want to say is you can't hide from God today. Amen? That's a good, that's a good, that's a good thing. The sin that you committed this morning or the uh, sin that you're going to commit this evening or the sin you committed yesterday, you can't hide that from him. Verse 15, then the king of the earth the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can withstand it? Isn't that interesting? The splendor of God is being revealed and people are running from it. They're afraid of it. Acts 10, 34 says this. And here's, here's why we're getting at this. God doesn't show favoritism, right? So I'll make my point here in a second. Acts 10, 34, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favor favoritism. James 2, 1, bro uh, my brothers and sisters, believers in our gloriously uh, Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. So if salvation does not show favoritism, nor does God's judgment. Amen. When judgment arrives, no one can exclude it. No matter your position, no matter the money, no matter what societies or clubs or whatever groups you led, you cannot escape it. Any sense of status will quickly disappear. Do you see that? The kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free. Both slave and free, rich and mighty. What will they do? All status, all of our statuses will quickly disappear. See, and when we see him with our faith, uh, sorry, and when we see him, will our faith be in his son's blood or our accomplishments? When we see him returning, when we meet him face to face, will we give an account of what we did or will we give an account of his son? We will all give an account to him one day, though. And that should lead us to repentance because these people knew what they were facing. Verse 16, as we wrap up. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? These people, 
knew who they were facing. How do we know this? They tell us right here, the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. They knew that they were facing God. And sometimes we know that we're facing God too, right? And here in Revelation chapter 6, when people faced God, they would rather have death than repentance. That's how prideful people are. The rich and the mighty. The elite people of the world in this situation. They said, God, make the rocks fall on us because we would rather the rocks fall on us than us repent. So I ask you today, how hard is your heart? How poor can we become before him? Because there's smaller situations in our life that God wants us to repent of. But we would say, I would much rather the rocks fall on us. So I leave you with this, and then I pray, and then we're dismissed. Hebrews 3.15. Um, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that we do not harden our hearts today. That we wouldn't rather have the rocks fall on us than repentance. I pray that as, 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 as we pray, Father, and things don't go our way initially, that we would have trust and faith in you, that you have a purpose, and that purpose is for revival and prosperity and fruit within our lives. Father, may we not harden our hearts today, but may we humbly become poor for you. In Jesus' name, amen.